This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Matthew 13, looking this morning at verses 1 through 9, but then also 18 through 23. So turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. As we begin this passage, we enter a a sort of a turning point in Matthew's gospel where, um, as we've seen going from chapters that emphasize Jesus' healing ministry and as recently as subsequent to that interaction with the Pharisees uh, about the source of his power and the nature of their own hearts, to a chapter, uh, particularly this chapter, but what follows as well, where the emphasis is more on Jesus' teaching, and particularly his teaching in terms of parables. There's a lot we could say about parables. However, we're going to uh, save parables and their nature and their purpose in Jesus' ministry, Lord willing, till next week. Uh, as we look at the uh, passage between our two texts this morning. But Jesus, in in Matthew chapter 13, is teaching a great deal about the kingdom. Uh, In fact, uh, you'll find as we go on in this chapter that uh, a number of his parables begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like this or like that. And so it's kind of a key chapter to keep in mind. If someone asks you, where are the kingdom parables? You always want to think Matthew 13. So let's look at our text this morning, however. Uh, Jesus, throughout the chapter, is teaching about the kingdom, particularly the king of the kingdom, the, uh, the nature of the kingdom itself, and the subjects of the kingdom. Well, uh, the parable of the sower serves as a, a useful introduction to Jesus' teaching in this chapter on the kingdom. So let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then uh, we jump to verse... 18. It's always very helpful to us when Jesus gives us his own interpretation of a parable, and we have such right here. Verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. By the way, Jesus is apparently speaking to his disciples uh, in, at this point uh, based on their asking for clarification. Jesus says, Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable. Thank you, Lord, for these words that uh, our Lord spoke to the crowd there, but also, Father, that were recorded for our instruction and for our benefit. And, Lord, we ask as we study your word that you would give us hearts to worship you in the very contemplation of your word. But also, Father, give us hearts and minds to understand and respond to the word of God. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. What is going on in the heart of a human being who hears the gospel? Maybe it's an adult. Maybe it's a child in Sunday school. What is going on in the heart? What has gone on in the heart of someone who uh, has made a profession of faith in Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord? What's going on in your heart? As someone here this morning, someone here as a follower of Jesus. Well, we can't know, at least not directly. The human person is not like a car where if you hear some strange noise, you can open the hood and, uh, and look at the engine and figure out what's going on with the engine. At least someone qualified who knows what they're looking at when they look at the engine and hear the sounds that it's making. You say, well, you could always, you know, have open heart surgery. But of course, that's not the kind of heart we're talking about here. What is going on in the heart of someone who hears the gospel or someone who has responded to the gospel? That's a question our session faces every time we meet with someone or with a couple or a family to receive you as members of the church. We receive you on the basis of a credible profession of faith in Christ. The profession of faith being that you give testimony to your faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior and that you demonstrate an understanding of what the gospel is, what it means to trust in Jesus, why it is that you have trusted in Jesus. Credible in the sense that uh, insofar as we know you, insofar as we know your life, there's nothing in your behavior, in your life, in your relationships that would call us in, uh, to question the reality of your faith in Christ and the reality of his grace in your life. But what we as a session cannot do, or what you for one another cannot do, is actually see the human heart, the human soul, to see that God has worked there or God hasn't worked there or how God is working there. We can only deduce what's going on from what we see on the outside. That's true for our session. That's true for me as, a, as an elder, for our elders and their shepherding. It's true for you and your interactions with one another. 
But who does see? Who is able to see into the depths of the heart? To see what is going on in a person's life uh, at the deepest level? Well, God, of course. A man looks on the outward appearance, the scriptures tell us, but the Lord looks on the heart. One reason that this parable is so valuable to us is because it gives us God's perspective on what goes on in the human heart when a person encounters the message of the kingdom, when he encounters the word of God, the gospel. It's also helpful for evaluating what may be going on or has gone on in our own hearts. And as we look at the parable this morning, and and it's a familiar parable, uh, I pray that God would give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear this parable in a way that enables it to search our own hearts to expose what's going on in our lives, even to ourselves, because just as others can't see our hearts, sometimes we don't really see our heart and see what's going on as we need to. Well, Jesus told this parable, we read verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, on the same day where he went out and he sat down beside the sea. Now, the the common posture for teaching in that day was to sit. Usually when someone's teaching in our day, we stand. I'm standing, you're sitting. In Jesus' day, you would stand and I would sit. Uh, Sounds good to me, but here I am standing. We'll stay with it this way because it's what we're accustomed to. But in Jesus' day, the custom was that the teacher sat down. That was the posture of the teacher, the, 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 the sign of authority. But the crowds became so great that Jesus sitting apparently could not be seen uh, and perhaps could not be heard. And so Jesus, we read, uh, got into a boat and uh, apparently put out a little bit, uh, but was on the side of the sea, and the people were able to gather around and maybe elevated as it rose from the sea, and they were able to see and to hear Jesus. And we read in verse 3, he told them many things in parables, Uh, many of which are recorded for us in this chapter and in Matthew's gospel, the other gospels, but presumably others that were not uh, recorded as well. Well, the very first one that Matthew records is what we call the parable of the sower. Now, pretty much every one of you has been through the Explorer's class. And the very first lesson of the Explorer's class, we talk about the parable of the sower and uh, you know that in there I, I say that uh, perhaps a more accurate name for this parable would be the parable of the soils. Because it really is about the soils. And the soils are the variable. They're the thing that changes. The sower is a component of it. But traditionally it's known as the parable of the sower. So we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, but Jesus begins by saying a sower went out to sow. Went out to sow the seed by the scatter method. You take your seed bag and you grab a handful of seed and you just scatter it. None of this careful seed-by-seed planting. And the rest of the parable is concerned with what happens to the seed, as Jesus tells it. Uh, Jesus speaks of these various surfaces, the kinds of soil the seed encounters. And then later, as we saw, he gives the explanation of what each of those kinds of soils represent. They represent various responses. Now, You think of all the different ways someone could respond to the gospel. Basically, they could be narrowed down to one of these four. It seems that just about any way you could think of a person might respond could could somehow fit into one of these four that Jesus gives. And so it's a very useful instrument for evaluating our own heart, 
for evaluating our own response to the gospel or even evaluating dangers to the gospel in our heart. Well, let's look at what Jesus says. He describes four responses to the gospel. The first response he talks about is a hardened response, a hardened response. And this is represented by the path. Look at verse four. Jesus said, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Well, Jesus makes it plain that the seeds uh, are are the words of the kingdom. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Well, as the sower sows the seed, some of it fell on the path. They typically wouldn't have uh, fences like we would have uh, between various uh, uh, fields. Uh, instead, people would walk around recognized fields, sometimes through them. And as people walked, the pathway would begin to develop. Inevitably, where you have people walking consistently, the, the earth begins to get packed and hard. A discernible pathway forms. And uh, so people tend to walk there all the more, which only hardens it all the more and makes it much more of a permanent pathway. I used to see this when I was in college, campus. You know, it had sidewalks going everywhere, but inevitably you'd see some corner cut and a path would develop there from where people would walk. And just as inevitably the university would come in and pour concrete. Then it seemed like people liked to create their own paths because I'm not sure they could keep up pouring sidewalks with all the footpaths that would develop. Well, that's the kind of thing. And because it's packed, no grass could grow there. So the path became obvious. And because it was obvious, more people walked on it. Well, that's what would take place here. Combine the packing of the soil under so many feet treading upon it uh, with the heat of the sun baking that soil hard. And what you have is a surface not unlike asphalt. It's impenetrable. And so seed that fell along that path just lay there. It, it was not able to put down roots. It wasn't able to germinate. It wasn't able to do anything. And so birds came along and ate it up. And Jesus says that these are, that path represents people who have this hardened or resistant response to the gospel. Uh, someone who hears the word and yet it makes no impact upon them. It, it, it does not enter into the heart. It doesn't do anything. It's simply as if the, the word of the kingdom just lay there on the surface of their heart until Satan came and, and snatches it away. This is the first response Jesus talks about, that of this hardened resistance, this hardened rejection of the gospel. And perhaps you know someone like that. Uh, perhaps you have been someone like that, the person who simply rejects the gospel. Now, they may do that in a number of different ways. They certainly may reject the gospel with, with hostility. You know, who are you to shove your religion down my throat? Which is a cliche I've never heard Christians use. It's always, you know, thrown in our faces. And yet, I don't know any Christian who wants to shove his religion down anyone's throat or force it upon them. But that's the cliche. You know, this, this negative reaction. How can you be so bigoted as to think there's only one way? Uh, well, it was Jesus who said it first, not me. But uh, but anyway, this reaction of hostility. They want nothing to do with the gospel. They're offended you should bring it up. Therefore, they want nothing to do with you other than to ridicule you as someone who, who follows this Jesus. But it's not always that way. There are people who would reject the gospel and be just as friendly and sweet and gracious toward you. Just smile, 
and say, well, you know, that's nice, that's interesting. Maybe I'll think, you've given me something to think about. Maybe we can talk about it later. No interest whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's just, there's, there's nothing there. Um, so this reaction of, of hardened resistance is one that Jesus indicates that uh, is one that some would meet the gospel with, the word of the kingdom, whether it's with hostility, whether it's with gracious friendliness, it's nevertheless rejection. So that's one response that Jesus describes here. There's another response that Jesus describes, and that is a superficial response. And this is the response of the rocky ground. Look at verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Well, Jesus explains in verse 20, ask what was sown on the rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a very encouraging response. Notice Jesus says a couple of things about it. One, the word of the kingdom is received immediately. There's this, this almost instant response uh, to the gospel. None of this, well, let's think about it. Well, we'll talk later. But this, 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 this instant response. And it's also an emotional response. He, he receives it with joy. It's, it's this eureka moment. I have found it. This is what I've been looking for all along. And now I have believed in Jesus. And now I'm a Christian. And everyone is so excited. And let's put him up front and let him give his testimony. Right? Wrong. I've shared with the Explorers class, the Puritans have a phrase. A very useful phrase. When they would describe someone who had what looked like and, and was an encouraging response to the gospel. They referred to the person as hopefully converted. And by that they meant it looks very good, but time will tell. And that's a very wise response because look at what Jesus says here. This is seed that fell on rocky ground. Again, the sense is not so much the ground is full of rocks, like my garden, which every year produces a new crop of rocks. The point is that it's, it's got a, a layer of rock at a shallow depth beneath the surface. In other words, there's a thin layer of soil on top of rock, and the sun would warm the rock, would warm the soil, and it was very easy for a seed planted there that fell to germinate quickly and the warmth of the soil to grow up and to look very good. And Jesus says this is the person who receives it immediately, receives the word with joy, but just as that plant uh, did not have much room for a root to go down, so that when the sun came out, it dried it up and scorched it, it didn't have the root to go down deep and find moisture. So Jesus says this is a person who has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He has no root in himself. What does that mean? Well, the root is the source of life. I have a shrub in our front yard that mysteriously turned brown and died. 
I figured bugs ate it. A front flower bed. I took it in, had someone look at it, and they said, no, there's no bugs on this. It apparently is a problem with the roots. Well, I'm not sure what's going on with the roots. They suggested maybe it wasn't planted well to begin with, or I didn't plant it, by the way. I'm happy to say. Can't blame me for the death of this plant. Uh, but, or that it had root rot, maybe moisture accumulating. I, the ones around it are thriving, so I don't know. Uh, the point is, though, apparently there was a problem with the roots for one reason or another. Well, Jesus says he has no root in himself. There's no source of life there. And so Jesus is describing a person whose, whose reaction to the gospel is not one from deep in the heart, but a superficial reaction. In other words, just on the surface. And as good as it looks, there's no new life. There's no regeneration. There's no real born-again experience brought about by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a plant with no root. Years ago, back when we lived in our other house, I was amazed to look over at my neighbor's house across the street and see this weed growing out of his gutter. And as impressive as that weed was, it wasn't going to last long because no matter how much junk he had in his gutter, there was only so far down for that root to go. And so, sure enough, the sun comes, and after a while, the plant has wilted and is hanging over the gutter. Because there's no place for the roots. There's no root system to support it. Well, that's what Jesus is describing here. A person who has the appearance on the outside, and yet there is no root. There is no principle of spiritual life. So that when the sun of tribulation, difficulties on account of the word, or persecution on account of the word come... This person falls away. Uh, difficulties, difficulties wrestling with sin in our own lives, difficulties in relationships with other people. As he mentions persecution because of the word, someone with no root in himself certainly isn't going to take uh, persecution, ridicule, insult for the sake of Christ. And so when these things come, the person falls away. Literally, it says he stumbled The word is he was scandalized. This is a person who thinks, wait a minute, you know, afflictions, difficulties, persecution doesn't fit in with my joy. So I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to look somewhere else. That's a second response Jesus describes, a superficial response. And that is a, a threat. That is a danger to the church, especially in those circles where the idea that you can somehow uh, whip up revival, uh, revivalism, uh, is, is prevalent. You know, that was really reached its uh, acme or its nadir, depending on how you want to look at it, with Charles Finney, with methods uh, of bringing people forward and even predictions of how many converts, a certain con- quote converts, a meeting might produce. Uh, with meetings then and even today, the 1800s, 1900s, even up to today, that play upon the emotions of hearers. Let's you know, set the lights just right. Uh, let's set the mood just right. Let's get the right music playing. And we'll get a lot of people to come forward. And maybe a lot of people do. And maybe some of them genuinely are born again. But the danger is that there are many of them who would fall into this category. It's nice to be able to count the numbers, to be sure. But a year later, two years later, five years later, how many of them are still walking with the Lord? Some, no doubt, may be. But many that might be credited as conversions may not be. And the danger is they've been inoculated. Well, I did receive Jesus. I did walk the aisle. 
I did do this or that. And yet their lives are no different and there is no change or maybe they're not walking with Jesus now. So that's the second response that Jesus describes, the superficial response. And we need to examine our own hearts and say, is my response merely an emotional one or is it merely one of convenience? Well, when the going got rough, I would be scandalized, stumble and fall away. There's a third uh, response that Jesus describes, and this is the distracted response. The distracted response. It's uh, illustrated by the seed that fell among thorns. Look at verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Well, let's see what Jesus says about that. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Anyone who's planted a garden or planted a flower bed uh, knows that you have to keep the weeds out. You have to constantly fight against weeds uh, encroaching uh, into the garden. Someone described a weed as a plant you don't want. Uh, and, and basically that's true. You want the plants you want and anything else is competition. Anything else is a threat to that plant. Well, Jesus takes that principle and applies it to our own hearts. Some of the seed that was scattered fell among soil that already had plenty to occupy it. Other plants, other weeds, thorny plants growing up and they choked out the seed, making it unfruitful. Well, Jesus says, this is the person who hears the word There's a response. They're not opposed to it. They're open to it. And yet there's a lot of competition. They're distracted. The cares of the world. And they are many. There's a lot that we just in the course of living have to take care of. We have to take care of our household finances. We have to take care of earning a living. We have to take care of our children. We have to take care of all kinds of things that might arise. We take care of our marriages. We take care of all kinds of things that are just part of living. We take care of parents as they might grow older and sick and need our care. Just the cares of living, the cares of this world. And, Jesus adds, the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitful in what way? Well, riches can be very deceitful in that we think, well, this is life. You know, if I just amass enough money, I'll be secure. Or if I just gain enough of a fortune, I'll be happy. If I can afford to buy anything I want, if I can just afford to pay my bills quickly and easily, I'll be happy. That somehow life, that somehow happiness, that somehow blessedness consists in in wealth, in riches. And so, as so many do, we, we go off in pursuit of those things. Uh, Jesus says that those kinds of things, legitimate cares of the world, but also illegitimate pursuits, like being deceived into the pursuit of wealth, are, are distractions, things that draw us away from the gospel. Remember Jesus' words to Martha, that Mary has chosen what is better, as she sat at Jesus' feet and listened, even as what Martha was doing was perfectly legitimate. The cares of the world. Yes, the, the calling of hospitality was there. And Jesus wasn't criticizing Martha, but he wasn't going to let Martha take Mary away from listening to the teaching of Jesus. Or think of the rich young ruler whom Jesus said, okay, take what you have, sell it, give the proceeds to the poor and come follow me. And the man walked away from Jesus because he was very wealthy. And not only did he have wealth, the wealth had him. 
And he walked away from Jesus in favor of his wealth. You see, those are the kinds of weeds that draw us away from Jesus and choke out the word. Now, if the, if the superficial response is the emotional response, then this distracted response may be more of a danger to those in Presbyterian churches. Well, we hear the word. Now we have our doctrine just right. We have our confession, and it tells us exactly what the Bible says, right? And we have our doctrinal points lined up precisely and well-balanced in biblical measure. We would never think of questioning any of these teachings and truths. And yet you talk to uh, Mr. Orthodoxy, and you sense that something's wrong. His heart's really not in it. In fact, he seems much more interested in his new boat. He's much more interested and quick to talk about his golf game. He's much more interested in a new business venture that he has begun. You see, his heart really isn't after Christ. It's after these other things. How is it with your heart? What are the distractions in your heart? What are those things that compete for your allegiance, your interests, your zeal, your loyalty, your time, your money? Compete with Jesus and your devotion to him. Well, happily, there's the fourth soil that Jesus mentions. That's what was sown on good soil, he says, where it bore fruit. He says, this is the one who hears and understands it. Now, earlier he said that the one who rejected is the one who heard but didn't understand. Here he says this is the one who hears and understands it. We're going to talk more about that understanding next time, Lord willing, with this passage that falls in between our two texts today. But he indeed, Jesus says, bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another, well, thirty. But you know, ten to twentyfold was considered an outstanding yield. So thirtyfold is, is pretty amazing in and of itself. And what is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about what we might call, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of a changed life. The evidence of the reality of the new birth. This is good soil. It's been tilled and prepared, softened and, and uh, nourished by the Holy Spirit to receive the soil and to respond to it in a life-changing way. In a way that goes beyond mere head understanding or even mouth profession or even heart joy to a profound, radical change. There's a reason, Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you are a Christian, you will be a different person than you were before. I was sharing with Mike uh, last week uh, the story of uh, Bob Riemenschneider, Bob and Polly, you know, used to be in our church, and after his funeral... Uh, Bob, by his own testimony, had become a Christian after he'd moved to Georgia and they'd started attending this church. And I was talking, in fact, right over there with some of his children, uh, a couple of his children who were believers. Uh, Not all of them were. Uh, And one of Bob's heartfelt regrets was that he had not trained his children up in the Lord because he himself was not a Christian. But two of his children were believers and they were saying, you know, it is amazing the change we saw in our dad after he came here, after he'd become a Christian. Is amazing the change. The change was there. Was Bob perfect? No. The change was not perfect, but it was perceptible to the point that his own children recognized he was a different man. And it should be so with all of us. Now, we'll still struggle with sin. We won't be perfect, but we will be different. There will be fruit in our lives. It may be 30-fold, 60-fold, might be 100-fold, 
But if the Spirit of God has come and given you a new heart and taken up residence in you, how could you ever go on in your sin? How could you ever be the same? How could your priorities remain unchanged? And so we ask the question, where is the fruit? And dear friends, as you think about this text, look at your own heart. Is your reaction to Jesus merely an emotional and superficial one? Are you children? Is it merely because your parents are believers and bring you to church, but you really don't want to be here, but you have to be? But as soon as you're old enough to be on your own, boy, look at your heart. Do you come to worship because your parents bring you or because you love Jesus? Is Jesus in your heart? Is there a change? Is there evidence? Is there in your heart love and joy and peace and patience and kindness with your brother or sister, kindness toward your parents? And for all of us, do you see that fruit that Paul describes? Is there now a love for Jesus? Is there a hunger for his word? Is there an interest now and a desire for prayer? Is there an interest and desire for and longing for fellowship with other believers who also love Jesus? If you're a Christian, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. Yes, there will be sin. Yes, there will be struggle against sin. But that struggle itself is fruit. Whereas once you sinned with abandon, without giving it a second thought, maybe a twinge of guilt here or there by God's common grace, but at least the struggle itself is fruit of the Spirit's changing your heart. Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus was saying to his disciples and to the crowd, you need to take this parable to heart. You need to take these four responses and examine your own heart. Which one is you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that for myself and for all of us, our hearts would be that fourth soil, prepared by your Spirit, having received the Word, bearing fruit. Lord, we would be more fruitful. Lord, we would put sin to death. We do feel that struggle Paul mentions in Romans 7 of not doing what we want to do, doing those things we don't want to do. And yet, Lord, we thank you even for that struggle, even for the discouragement over our sins. But, Father, we pray that more and more we would not be that vineyard-producing wild grapes, but good grapes, that we would be exhibiting not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. But, Father, even in our growth, even in our fruitfulness, we thank you for Jesus. As we sang earlier, Lord, that he is our righteousness, that he is our salvation, not our own performance, not our own fruitfulness. Jesus is our perfect fruit and our perfect righteousness, and we thank you for him. But, Father, we would be like him, and we want to be fruitful for him to give encouragement to ourselves and to those around us of the reality of our salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.